Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, this is Queenie. And Pablo. And welcome back to another episode. Today we have a really exciting episode because we have some special guests. So welcome Kate and Owen. They run some amazing podcasts, so you can search them up wherever you listen to your podcast. Just type in Rask and welcome Kate and Owen. It's a pleasure to be here, Queenie and Pablo. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's really, really great. Technically, you're having us in your office. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, so... Before we get into the juicy questions, we have some questions for you. So, Kate, do you have a money win to share with us? I do, Queenie. So, yesterday I found out that Spotify in Australia have launched the ability for premium subscribers to get 15 hours of free access to audiobooks in their catalogue every month. And so, I started listening to, I'm going to get up on my phone because I only started listening last night, but... Going Infinite, The Rise and Fall of a New Tycoon by Michael Lewis. And that's all about the rise and fall of Sam Beckman fried And it's fascinating. It is a very well-written book. So I'm listening to that at the moment and it's a lot of fun. Wow, that is so cool. I'm really excited to listen to that as well. It's and- going to save you one to two books a month. Exactly, because I already have like an Audible subscription. And I feel like this Spotify is really going to give Audible a run for its money. It's crazy. What about you, Owen? I shared something on uh, Instagram maybe a week or so ago now. Uh, I was going through some of my old collection of Pokemon cards. I originally bought them for 250 bucks, And inside there, for any of the nerds like me out there, there's a, there's a particular card called a Charizard. And that's like the most expensive card ever. And I had one. I don't have a first edition. I've just got like a regular one. But it's still probably that card alone. It's probably worth at least $600, maybe more. And then there's... 200 other cards so it's probably i estimate the collections worth about three and a half thousand dollars um yeah and so i bought it about 10 years ago and it's just been sitting in in the the cupboard so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you did have that period of your life where you collected something pokemon cards whatever was your jam sports cards anything like that you might have something that's worth a lot of money and you can just look online to see how much they're worth that's so cool. So wait, you bought it for $250? Years ago, yeah, about 10 years ago, maybe more. Yeah. Wow, and now it's worth like 3000 Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, Do you think you'll sell it? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I actually am considering it because I was going to try and get the full collection. That's what I was, when I was dusting off the collection, I was like, oh, there's only about two or three missing from the complete set. And then I looked at the prices of the two that I needed which is a, a Venusaur and a Blastoise, which by themselves are worth like a few hundred bucks. So I was like, I could either spend a few hundred dollars or I could just sell the lot now and see what happens. So I'll probably start selling them. Ooh, very mm. nice. Is it is it like another like kind of like rise of Pokemon? Because I knew they had their like time and then yeah, they kind of dropped. Is, because, it, is it back up again? I don't know how it works with collectibles, but I feel like when you want to sell the collectible, is it the time when the people who are like nostalgic about that collectible have money so i'm 32 and my era of people who collected pokemon cards are probably between 30 and 40 now and so they probably have enough money to spend a little bit on something like this 
I feel like the next few years might be the golden years for Pokemon cards, so I'm happy to sell now. I like it. I like it a lot. How exciting. And Pablo, what's your money win? Yeah, just before that, I would just feel like, you know, Owen, now you said that, everyone is going to keep all their stuff at home and pile up all their collectibles and then never... You turn everyone to hoarders. <laughs> exactly. You turn every listeners into hoarders now. <laughs> That's okay. Maybe it could be worth something, my like... <laughs> you never know now. You're going to keep anything you, you know. <laughs> but yeah, my money win is basically we went to the Rask event two days ago and they were free food. <laughs> you know, free food is always good and it was nice to meet people you know talking that was about a secondary nice yeah. Yeah. first free food then talking to people and about investing you know it's nice to be with like a community mm. and you know sometimes you feel alone by yourself or you listen to the podcast you can hear other people talking about investing is nice but just face to face is even better mm. yeah very nice very nice my money win is that now I'm pregnant I can't drink but I can still drink non-alcoholic drinks and they're so much cheaper because the other day we went out for brunch with my friends and they all got like cocktails and I had like a non-alcoholic drink, which is still very nice. And it kind of looks like a cocktail because they put <laughs> it in the nice glass. And then afterwards, you know, we decided to split like the food evenly, but then like, because some people had different drinks or whatever and like different amounts of drinks, like split the drinks based on what we got. And then like my drink, it was only like $6 extra, but then some people had like $22 drinks plus like multiple $22 drinks. And I was like, wow, that is like such a huge saving. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. $6 for like a drink? That's Amazing. crazy. It's so good. We yeah. went out last night for dinner and instead of getting a glass of wine with dinner, we had jasmine tea and yeah. so i think we saved probably 50 or 60 bucks yeah and they uh they refilled the hot water you can just ask them for more hot water when you run out of the tea yeah so exactly. so we basically got two pots of tea for the price of one that's so good yeah. honestly it's such a bargain i love like i mean i was always taught like the when you have tea at like yamcha and you just kind of like there's that little lid on the tea you just mm. flip it over and so uh-huh. they know to fill it up it's like a Oh, I said that it's a signal. I did not do that. Yeah, okay. So yeah. we should have known. Next time you can have three pots of tea. Yeah, we can just yeah. keep taking the lid off. Yeah, you yeah. don't even have to call someone. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah I know what you want. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Just remember that anything that we talk about in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't constitute personal financial advice. You can read our full financial services guide in the description below. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of our land and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Okay, so I'm curious, how did both of you grow up around money and like what made you get started into investing? Maybe we'll start with Kate. Yeah, so I grew up in a household where talking about goals and doing things with money was fairly normal. Now, I didn't talk about investing at the kitchen table at the age of 12, but I was in a household that normalized money conversations. They weren't held behind closed doors. And I think that made it a lot easier that when I finally got my first job and moved out of home at 17, having those conversations with people about money was a lot easier than I know many of our listeners find it to have. So when I got my first paycheck, I definitely spent all of them for a few months and I did my very first tax return after six months of working full time and realized I hadn't saved anything. And so just because you can talk about money doesn't mean you can save money or invest money. And so it was at that point that I went, hey, I've got a lot of stuff now from the last six months of working full time. And my tax return said I earned money for the last six months, 
but I don't really have anything in my bank account. And it was that point where I decided to pull my head in and actually go, okay, I want a little bit of money on the side. Just if something goes wrong, if I need to fly somewhere to see some sick family members, I didn't have any money for that. And so that was my very first money sort of experience where I went, okay, I want to have a bit of money put aside from that. And then that slowly spurred me on my own journey of going, well, what else could I do with that money? How else can I invest? I was very lucky not to be in debt at an early age, so I didn't have that hurdle to overcome. But I slowly went down that rabbit hole of reading every book and podcast, reading the Money Smart website. And that sort of helped me take that very first step to go, okay, what is investing? Now, investing didn't make sense straight away. I certainly made my fair share of mistakes and donated a lot of money to my brokerage account (laughs) at the time. So I uh, was investing, well, I wouldn't call it investing because I was just buying and selling things. And that's not what we call investing. When we're investing, we're doing it for a long time period, five to 10 plus years. But it was really a good way to get that first step and start putting my money in companies. And then that slowly led to discovering what exchange traded funds are, which I'm sure you've touched on the podcast before. And that slowly over multiple years helped me start to build my own portfolio and figure out what my own definition of investing was and what my financial future wanted to look like. Oh, very cool. I love that. That's a really cool story. And it's interesting that you started so early and you made all these learnings and lessons. And then, you know, so I feel like a lot of people listening, it, it's a bit scary and you feel like you're probably doing it wrong, but I feel like everybody makes mistakes when they just start. So that's the best thing, Queenie, that like you realize that no one has it figured out. Most of us are just making it up as we go along about everything in life and our careers. And so as long as you can find people one or two steps ahead of you from the journey and learn something from them, and then you can find the people the next few steps ahead and just learn something as you go. Because if you look at a billionaire and you try and work backwards from there, it can be quite difficult to work out how they got there. So you find someone, well, if you've got no money right now, well, you find someone with a few thousand dollars in their bank account. How did they get to that point and figure out what works for you? Not everything will. Like there's a lot of advice and information out there that might be good, but it won't be suitable for your own circumstances. So finding things that are relevant for your journey. That's so true. That's very, very true. And if you would like to get started investing, we have created an investing course, which you can check out in the show notes. I've actually partnered with Russ to make this investing course and it's a really good one. So definitely check that out. So Owen, what about you? How did you get started investing? And what has the journey been like? How do you invest now? Yeah, so Kate and I are probably at opposite ends of the spectrum. But one of the things I might reflect on with Kate's story is that Uh, The key, I think, in hearing her story is communication. Even if you feel like you you can't talk about money, if you have kids, the best thing to do is just talk openly and honestly about money around the table or even when you're driving home, um, doing things like if they're really young and you've got cash for the fish and chips that you're going to buy tonight, send them in with the cash and get them to get the change and make sure it adds up. And it's little things like that where parents can instill values of money and um, being open is probably the most important. That's probably what I've come across. But mine was very different. So I grew up on a farm out in the Yarra Valley of Victoria and um, my parents split up and it was pretty bad. And we never talked about money. We didn't come from a family that talked about money. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. So um, it was a very, very interesting thing. In fact, I didn't even speak English. So um, it was a very hard uh, money story. If you think about it like that, like I had a lot of anxiety about money. I remember when uh, I used to work on the farms next door to mine 
over summer, they would ask me for a tax phone number so they could pay into my bank account. And I just got so much anxiety because I was convinced that um, the system, whatever that is, was out to get me. And so I felt like I wouldn't be able to achieve a tax file number, even though it turns out I had one. <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> so then I was paying me cash. Thanks very much, David. But um, yeah, I, I I had a totally different background. And then when my parents finally split up, we didn't really have any money. Um, and there was like a period there where I met my partner now, Sarah, and uh, I ended up staying on basically on her couch for a, a while while we transitioned. Um, and so like there was a lot of like mental health issues in my family so um I didn't really have any role models for money other than maybe my uncle who was um he was basically destitute at 15 years of age and he told me the story that uh when he was younger uh, he was booted out of home at about 12 and he remembers he had to make a phone call to someone because he hurt himself at work he was a landscaper he was the only one on the job site and it was like four cents to make a phone call to the ambulance and he didn't have the money and from that moment on, he um, made a rule for the rest of his life that he would never be poor. And then he ended up going to the military and through Vietnam and all that. And um, then that was the story that kind of like, that's the only story that I can think of from when I was younger of people talking openly about money in a positive way. Like it was an attitude of like, it's very hard, but I'm going to do something about it. Whereas everyone else just blamed the system didn't understand money got really anxiety uh, like there's a spike and so I had a lot of anxiety growing up with money and um, there's a psychological thing called sublimation which is basically where you take a really bad event in your life and you turn it into something socially acceptable and that's exactly what's happened with me so like if you think about it we now run one of the biggest money and finance brands in the country <laughs> um and all of that started because I was so anxious about it. And so that's a classic example of sublimation. And so um, my journey was basically just a hacked way to finance. I saw, I looked around and I thought, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to like, I want to achieve things. Um, and I want to be free of that. And I want to be able to provide my family with things like that. Um, the good things. So that's where it all started. And in terms of like my first investment, a mate and I, who's now the director of research at the Motley Fool Australia, so sorry, Ryan. But I remember sitting there, Kate's heard the story before, and we, were, we had a couple grand we were saving up over summer. And um, we went into the Australian Financial Review. You flick to the middle pages. It has all the stock symbols from the day before, and it says if they went up or went down. And I said, close your eyes, mate. And he put his hand, and I said, close your eyes and put your hand on the newspaper, and whatever you point out is what we're going to invest in. And uh, he put his hand down and he, he had one. I can't remember what it was, but we looked at it and it had like the share price movement from the day before, like up 5%, down 5% or whatever. He picked it and I, put, I saw what he looked, pointed at and I said, no, that's too boring. It didn't go up enough yesterday. Pick the one beside it. So we went with the one beside <laughs> it. Uh, it was a company called Indo Mines, uh, some Indonesian mining company. And um, lo and behold, it actually turned out we made money. But um, wow. it was complete randomness. And uh, yeah, so the journey's evolved a lot since then. And obviously we invest in a totally different way now. Um, and yeah, I've just basically committed 12 years to studying it. So maybe maybe more. So that's where we are today. And yeah, now we help other people invest. And I think it is something to be taken from Kate's journey and my journey. Very different backgrounds, but we kind of ended in the same place. Uh, we, we both ended up at like the same train station, which was... A little bit of speculation, a little bit of just trying it and see how it goes. 
not really knowing what we're doing. And then we kind of, you know, boarded the next one from there and we ended up on a path that helped us grow towards financial independence. So I think if people are thinking about their own story, just be very forgiving and I'd say it's okay to not know exactly what you're doing straight away. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. Sad, but it's very beautiful. <laughs> I was um there's this uh there's this quote that it reminds me of. I'm not sure if you've heard of this story before, but it just reminds me of it. It's like um there was this like farmer and uh he has like a horse in his like pastures or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like the horse escapes and then the the neighbor's like, Oh, your horse ran away. That is so sad. And then the farmer's like, Maybe and then a day later, the horse comes back, but it brings like all these other horses with them. And then the farmer next door is like, wow, your horse came back and it brought all these horses back into your pasture. And the guy's like, that's amazing. And then he's like, maybe. And then um, one of the, like the farmer's son decides to try to ride one of the, the wild horses. And then he falls off and he breaks his leg. And then the farmer next door is like, oh, your son broke his leg. That that really sucks. And then the farmer's like, maybe. And then the next day, there's like a war that had just started and then they're trying to draft people for the war, but then the son has a broken leg so he can't get drafted for the war. Then the neighbor's like, wow, your son didn't get drafted for the war. And then the farmer's like, that, that's amazing, isn't it? And he, he's like, maybe and it just kind of goes on like that it's like I think the moral of the story is like even if something bad happens you you still don't even know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing you know it just it is you know and you can also turn it into a good thing as well so I think that's what you've done yeah I think like no matter what you do you you do right you um you just everyone's philosophy of life is shaped by our experiences and um like I might be envious of Kate's family being able to talk about money but then if my family talked about money, money, maybe I wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, and maybe whatever our stories are, neither of us could say that the same thing, right? Like, so we couldn't know for sure. And um, I'm grateful. I had a loving family and um, all of those types of things. So I count my blessings and I think everyone should. Yeah. And you can take those experiences and turn them into something positive. So even though you wished your family spoke about money and they didn't, well, you can be the one to start having money conversations with your friends and family and future generations as well. So you can start to be that change that you wished you had when you were growing up. Yeah, it's so true. And what do you think, Pavlo? Anything to add? It's really interesting because both stories are so different, but you both like, you know, made your way to your first investment and you did not really know what to invest in or, you know, you just pick a random stock on the newspaper and then you just started to learn about ETF and things like that. And but you both learn your way to, to make an investment and now you have your proper portfolio that you show about that and you could sleep well at night, I'm sure. But yeah, what's interesting and we're going to talk about it like later is like what after first investment, like how did you structure your portfolio from day one to now as it is today? We can start maybe, Kate. Yeah, I guess at the very beginning, I didn't have a structure or a portfolio at all. It was just things coming and going with a, a moment's notice. There was no thought to it. There was no plan. I hadn't written anything down. I didn't have a long-term goal. I didn't know why I was buying and selling companies. And it was only after a period of time which I realized, okay, I'm actually buying part of a business. Now, that's probably not something I want to buy and sell every single day. And why do I actually want to invest? Like, what are my goals? And I sort of, 
the thing that kind of pulled it all together for me was discovering that concept of financial independence. And so where I have enough money invested that I can support myself without having to rely on someone else. And I think that concept's very empowering. And the very first step of financial independence for me was just having an emergency fund. So having three months of my living expenses put in a high interest savings account that I knew that if something happened, I had a bit of spare cash up my sleeve. And that slowly developed to how do I want to invest for my future? And so I started building out a portfolio that invested in Australian companies and overseas companies and bonds and cash and things like that and slowly started piecing that together for myself because I know that one day I'll have enough in there to support myself. I'm not there right now. I've still got quite a while to go, but every step I take with my finances, I get closer to that point. But each each move I make with my finances, I'm more and more financially secure. So today, um, if I wanted to stop working for a year, I have enough funds, whether it's in cash or invested or things like that, that I could do that. And so while I'm not doing that because I still want to keep working towards financial independence and I love what I'm doing. I know Pablo is looking at Owen like, is Kate about to just leave the country and go to Europe for a year? The lady's getting worried. <laughs> yeah, I'm sweating. But, but it's about having choices and just when you have investments, when you have money put aside, you know that you have more options. You might not exercise them. I'm probably not going to just disappear for a year at the moment. But I have choices and I know that I have more options on my plate. And I think that gives you a lot of freedom when it comes to your life and the way you interact with the world. Yeah, that's very true. That's very empowering. And financial freedom is one of our goals as well. But it is really cool even like before we hit financial freedom, it's nice that you still have more choices, even if you're not quite there yet. It's like nice to see that it, at every stage, it opens up new choices for you. So Yeah. And enjoying the process as well, because that's at the very beginning of that uh, journey where I discovered financial independence, it was very much, okay, I'm going to invest this much. I'm going to do this every year. I'm going to cut this out of my budget. If I do that for 20 years, I'm going to be financially independent. It's just going to work like that. But life never works. It ebbs and flows. You change careers. You change. You will go back and study new things. You get into relationships. And so I think it's just having a loose framework and a direction of where you want to go, but being really flexible on how you get there because you don't want to just have your happiness dependent on reaching that goal because what if I don't let myself be happy for 20 years, what's the point of all of this? You want to be enjoying the journey. And so you might have to make trade-offs because we only have so much time and money. So we have to prioritize what we want in our lives right now. But there are things that we can do to make the, the process more enjoyable. And that's the last few years I've really focused on how can I make the process to working towards my financial goal more enjoyable? Because the goal is just one second. It might be one number I hit in my investment account. And that's just one second of my life. I live in the present for most of the time in the meantime. So how can I make that really enjoyable? Yeah. yeah. And if you're not happy, like while you are reaching that goal, you won't be happy the day you reach it. No. So you need to enjoy the journey. Yeah. Mm. There's a, like the hedonic treadmill, right? Like this is the concept of uh, you basically think you'll be happy when you'll be financially free when um, if you have $999,999, are you going to be more or less happy when you have 1 million? You know, it's really no different. And uh, what tends to happen, what you alluded to, Queenie is that in the earliest days when you start when the money journey you start saving money getting yourself out of credit card debt these types of things 
the incremental benefit of doing that is substantial. So what I mean by that is like that first $1,000 that you save is so much more impactful than the last $1,000 from like 999000 to the million, right? It doesn't, that doesn't, that's such a rounding error. But the first 1000 is where you'll get so much liberation and freedom. And that's equally true if you're in debt and you're clawing your way out of it, or if you've just started and you're now in a positive position. And so um, you ask like how our investing has changed over time. Um, in the early days, my investing was basically just individual companies, like individual shares. Uh, by the age of about, I'm going to say it was about 22 at about 100 and something thousand dollars in uh, my share portfolio and um, that was the hardest part is getting to that hundred hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And that was great. And at the time, I remember, I was like, I could take this 100000 and buy a house for 400000 like get a three hundred grand mortgage. And I was like, but that's a bad investment because all I've learned about is shares and shares should be the way to go. Uh, fast forward and I could have bought that property's probably worth a million dollars now, <laughs> maybe a lot more. And I could have used the equity that I had in that property, then buy another property and another property. And, and, and so if you look at it, it wasn't perfect. Like it could have been probably further ahead if I used debt and did all those types of things, but that wasn't right for me at the time. And I had to learn the things as I went. Um, and now the majority of my portfolio and any extra dollars basically now is into ETFs, dollar cost averaging into ETFs and not just, uh, as Kate was saying, like international shares or Aussie shares. It's like a little bit of bonds. Um, also having cash is really important. And then um, I still do invest in a lot of individual companies, but I pick and choose what I invest in. So I have this kind of approach that's you guys know the core and satellite approach. Basically, you have the solid core portfolio that is low cost, but then around the outside, I have heaps of fun. And by that, I mean, I do a lot of research. I'm not one of those people that, you know, I teach value You're investing. You're not just so, pointing at companies yeah, in the newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> I teach value investing, right? So um, like I, I, I spend a lot of time focusing on companies, but what I mean by fun is like, I'll have the core boring portfolio that's fully automated, but then in these satellites, I'll go and find the very best technology companies, the very best healthcare companies, the very best small cap companies, like smaller companies. So that way, it's like you get the best possible um, opportunity to have the, in it sounds silly, but the big winners while also having that safe, defensive, long-term wealth creating portfolio. And then in the future, if I'm a really good investor, then I'll do more of the satellite stuff. But if it doesn't work out, at least I've got the majority of my money in something that I know is proven, low cost, it's diversified, it's all those things they tell us. And that's the way I invest now. Uh, and that's the way the, a lot of the mass community invests. It's interesting, we're talking off air, like a, a lot of our community is 50s, 60s, 70s. The number one demographic is in their 30s, but um, it's there's a huge skew to older people who are looking to invest in so that means that when we do it, when we think about building portfolios and helping people invest, we have to take into account all those other things that younger people typically don't have to take into account, like 
How do you build a portfolio for retirement? How do you, once you have $500,000, how do you then turn that into passive income? What should you do with super? Um, so we do, we deal with a lot of people at that end, which means that the investing that we do is sometimes a little boring for some people, but it's the right thing to do. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. And when how do you pick or what's the process of picking an individual stock in your satellite portfolio? Yeah, sure. So it's a good question, Pablo. So it's, there's a lot that goes into it. We probably spend, like if I was going to buy a share, I would spend the equivalent of maybe a few months looking at the business. Like I've only made one new investment this year as a very small engineering company. But um, for the most part, like there are five things that we look at. We look at companies that we can understand. It's very sim- simple. Like you don't, like you won't catch me investing in a biotechnology company because I have no understanding of like the latest in stage three clinical trials for Alzheimer's. Like I have no understanding of what any of that means. So I'm not going to invest in something like that because I wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, the second thing is we're looking for companies that are run by people that have integrity and talent. So uh, Warren Buffett has this saying of like energy, integrity, and talent. If you find people that have energy and talent, you'll have a horrible outcome because they have no integrity. So the most important is integrity. So I look for people like CEOs, um, executives that have really good people running them, and they're typically founders or families. So if you look for those companies around the world, you'll see many good examples like Alphabet. Lo and behold, I say this, Meta or Facebook, um, even uh, Tim Cook. Um, he's not really the founder, but he treats Apple like it is uh, his baby. So like, there's so many companies like that. So we've got circle of competence. We've got management. We like companies that have industry growth behind them. So technology companies, healthcare companies, these types of things. Uh, we look for companies that have a reasonable valuation. So it doesn't have to be like a low or cheap stock, low price earnings ratio, if you're familiar. It doesn't have to be cheap stocks. I think that's a mistake people make. And finally, uh, we're looking for companies that have what we call a moat. And a moat is just the ring of water around a castle or as anyone can think about it, it's like what makes a, a business different to the next business. So Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola, Pepsi is Pepsi, but LA ice is something that I don't drink, you know? <laughs> so the difference is we're looking for businesses that stand out. And if you combine all of those things, you don't often get all five of them, but if you do, you end up with a portfolio of companies that are really special. Not all of them will work, but say six out of 10 work. Those six out of 10 that do work, I've found, will vastly outweigh the four out of 10 that don't. Um, and that's how we pick individual companies at a high level. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think one thing very important you said is you want to be able to sleep at night. Mm. Yeah. And with some stocks, you know, that you may have done at the beginning, you will not be able to sleep at night. Oh, no way. No, yeah. I remember one of my very early uh, things when I had no idea what I was doing was a jetpack company. Now, it's uh, I looked it up a few months ago and it went into liquidation and completely crashed and burned but um, oh, yeah. yeah I don't know anything about jetpacks I didn't know anything about that I was just buying it on a whim so that's what we don't want to do we don't want to be just taking a tip from a friend or a internet forum or something we hear on the news without doing any research because as Owen mentioned he spends months looking at a company he's looking deep into all the different things the company does because sometimes it takes a while to get your head around all of the the different business lines of a company like when we've had a look for the podcast at companies like Disney or Nestle they own so many different businesses underneath that it can take a while to get your head around it and even the best analysts still probably 
can't follow everything the company's up to. Yeah, imagine that you're making an investment uh, for 10 years. Just If you just force yourself to imagine that you have to invest for 10 years, if you go into your brokerage account, like if you go into Perla or whatever you use to buy your shares, um, chances are you're going to look at them and you're going to treat them very differently if you're just trying to invest for the next two weeks. Um, you'll probably just go, well... This, and this is honestly my reaction to when someone says this. Like I, I get asked this a lot. If you only, if you could have to pick one thing for twenty years, what would you pick? And I think, and it can't be an ETF. That's the that's the false choice they always give me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, the first question is, what would still be around in twenty years? Like seriously, how many companies go out of business? Like even the biggest companies. And so I would be focused on what makes a company stick around. And I think it's those five things that I mentioned before. So that's why we do it. And that's why we invest that way. And just full disclosure, Perla is a long-term sponsor of our um, Australian finance podcast. Nice. Should mention that. Yeah. That's good. Oh my gosh. Jetpacks. That's really funny. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, oh, it's there okay. Some, there were some funny companies. I remember there was a drone company and oh, yeah. uh, all sorts of strange companies. You definitely don't need to look for the, the cheapest, as Owen said. I think originally I was looking like just filtering by price and finding the company that was one cent the share yeah. price and that's usually not the best place to start. My friend, I uh, won't name who it is, but my friend actually bought that that jetpack company as well and just watched it go straight down, which is the opposite friend. of what oh, the jet- okay. yeah, I was you? watching. No, I was watching over their shoulder um, and it's exactly the opposite of what a jetpack company should do. <laughs> so, um, yes. Bad in multiple ways. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy how many – because we went to watch, like, the new GameStop movie and um, something that was so interesting was, like, I remember we had only just started, like, creating content around that time. And then I remember all of the stocks that were really hot at that time because it was, like, a massive bull run and all the hot stocks were, like, these random small-cap tech fintech companies and um, and then we were just really curious. We were like, I wonder how all those like hot stocks are doing now. And we were looking at some of them and it, they went from like a couple of dollars at the peak to like actually worth, worth nothing, like completely liquid, liquidated. All those buy now, pay later companies that were really hot at the time, you know, like they, they're just like not worth as much as they were before. So it's really important to to be aware of the hype. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And contain your emotions a bit. Like a lot of new investors make mistakes in that they think they know what the future holds. Like they'll predict buy now, pay later is great. If you, um, just the, the longer you invest, the more humility you need. And I think if you meet really good investors, like professional investors I'm talking about, they'll all acknowledge that they don't have a crystal ball. They don't know what the future holds. If you go on like Reddit or Twitter or anywhere that people talk about investing online, you'll see those really passionate people. And I just feel a little bit worried for those people because I know what's coming to them. I know that even if they are right this time, they're going to be wrong sooner or later because we all are. And so the more emotion that you get into something, the worse the outcome is going to be when it does go wrong. And um, those people, those types of people who will get really emotional about a company or a Bitcoin or whatever the thing is that they're really into, they um, they tend to make one fatal mistake with their investing is that they tend to invest too much in that one thing. Um, and so that's why the diversification is the only free lunch in investing. So um, just keep that in mind. If you do have a great idea, share it, talk about it, be passionate about it. Just put it in your satellite, not in your core. Mm, yeah, and low-cost diversified ETFs or index funds. Easy wins. Yeah, yeah. easy wins. Um, I'm curious though because I feel like one of the 
criteria as well before we invest in a business is also like, do we actually use the business? Do we use the products? And I'm curious to hear from you because Kate actually wrote a book about buying happiness. And now I want to know, like, what is something that you've bought that you just love or like something that you're happy to spend money on that you really see the value in like what this business offers? And um, yeah, maybe it's a good place to start with like your satellite. But yeah, maybe what about you, Kate? Like what's something? On the topic of books, I bought some bookshelves because I do have quite a large book collection now and I'm someone that loves spending money on books and so that makes me really happy. I'm happy to cut out a lot of other things in my budget so I know I've got money for books and so I had to get some bookshelves to house them and what made, I mean they were from Ikea um, and what made that easy, I'm not someone who likes to assemble bookshelves so I know there's the, the Ikea effect that if you build it yourself you love it more but I'm definitely not that person. I helped a friend build a bookshelf once and it drove me insane and I thought the friendship was going to be over from that moment. So I swore never again I would contribute money, but I would not help build them. So I paid someone through Ikea as well to build them. And I was just very happy for that. So I spent a little bit of money to free up my time and end up with a much better product. That's awesome. That's really cool. And that's the freedom that money can give you. What about you all? What's something that you spend money on that you're like, this is 100% worth it? Um, well, if you look at my iPhone right here, you'll see it's got a new phone cover made out of tape on the back. He has ended up with uh, glass in his fingers on multiple occasions. Yeah, because I drop it a lot, but I don't use a case on my iPhone. And the reason why is because I think iPhones are so beautiful, the amount of money that goes into making them and making them look pretty. And then we go and wrap them in some piece of rubber that costs 20 bucks or whatever. And the thing is, people will be like, that guy's crazy. Like, that's like $2,500 for that He phone. is crazy. But you get Apple Care. Like, that's also a bit of a rip, let's be honest. But at the same time, I love the look of it. And I want to, to I want to see it because I think it's, there's so much money that goes into making that thing look good. Not at the moment. I need to get a new cover, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, like, I spend money on Apple. To your point, I spend a lot of money on Apple products. It's probably the one, number one thing that I spend money on. And the company also happens to be a fantastically run company. And I own shares for years. I don't own them anymore, but I own shares for a very long time, many, many years. And it was easily one of my best investments by dollar value. And this was a, a time when everyone was telling me that Apple's dead. How can they sell a product that's like $2,500? You know, they're never going to be able to make those subscriptions work. Two years later, they got 700 million people paying for a subscription, like it's a wonderful business and um, that's something that I spend money on and I'm happy to spend money on. So there's no guilty pleasure. It's just pleasure there for me. <laughs> no, yeah. it's nice. And live on the a, edge. That could be a really interesting way to start just on like the investing point of view. You're looking around the room. We've got oh, four iPhones. There's Apple Watches. I've got AirPods in my bag. We've got MacBooks. Like products that people are using, maybe you're not using yourself, but people around you are using. If you're trying to start being a bit more curious about the world and want to explore individual companies that can be a good place to start just picking for research purposes only a company that you use you love or your friends use and love and using that as a very initial start into your investing journey to just go and go well what does this company do can I find some more information about who runs it is it just in Australia or does it operate overseas as well just start getting curious I mean that's sort of the biggest tip we get from a lot of investors that come on our podcast is just they are super curious individuals and they love asking questions. I mean, you should see Owen, whenever we go into a cafe or in an Uber, he's just sort of asking them a million questions yeah. about what they do and what they enjoy. <laughs> it's a podcast for me, but it's also the investor. And uh, like we're recording this in the beautiful office here in Sydney. 
and we're just looking over down towards George Street down there. And you go down there, there's the Apple Store, there's all the wonderful brands like Gucci, all these wonderful things. And they've all been fantastic investments. And everyone is tapping their phones or their cards, which is a Visa or a MasterCard or an Amex. Um, and once you realize all of these things are businesses and that's all that shares are, and you invest in them, you actually have this wonderful feeling where you're like, hold on a second, I own 0.00001 of MasterCard or Visa. And every time someone taps, there's 30 cents that goes to Visa or MasterCard. And I own a tiny, tiny little bit of that. And it, Tony Robbins talked about this in his book, Unshakable. And it's, it's this, um, this concept of you go from being a consumer of the economy to an owner of the economy like you own things and uh, it's a really interesting transformation even if you've just done like a ten dollar investment or whatever and peter lynch's one up on wall street is a great book for anyone that's interested in you know finding ideas around them it's not the only way to invest but it's um it's a really good book so i would highly recommend that as well as your course queenie i will say that uh you can check out queenie's course yeah right yep. link in the description below I love that. And Pablo, what about you? Uh, I'm just interested in Owen because, you know, you talk about your five points before buying a stock. And I think it's, you know, really good to have a checklist when you buy a stock. But also, how do you decide? Because you said that you don't own Apple anymore. And at the moment, we uh, haven't sold any stock recently, just when we bought a home a couple of years ago. How or what made you decide to, to sell a stock or Apple or? Yeah, um, so I wrote an article a while ago. I don't know if it's public now, but it should be, so maybe we'll make it public for this. But um, I wrote an article for 10 Reasons People Sell Shares, and I'm talking about individual shares. Um, and I'd say about eight of the 10 common reasons that I see people selling are wrong. Um, the only real reason that I would sell a share is if it breaks my thesis. So this, you know how I said there's five points. The good thing about a checklist is this. If you have a checklist for investing, it could be so basic. And if you write down, well, I think Apple is a really good business because it has pricing power, like it can increase the price of an iPhone and I'm still going to, I'm going to be one of those suckers lining up to buy one, right? So I'm still going to buy it. And you have, that's one of the five points because that's a competitive advantage. That's that moat thing that I was talking about before. Like it's the thing that protects Apple is its pricing power, um, makes super profits because of that. Now, if I write down my thesis, so the reason why I own Apple and I write it down in those five dot points, like a paragraph for each. And then sometime in the future, that is no longer true. So all of a sudden, Apple's like discounting its products on sale today. You can go and pick up an Apple on the local corner store. The moment you see that is the moment Apple's competitive advantage is gone. And that would mean that that one point on my checklist is completely broken. And this is what we call a thesis break. So it's basically the reason that you own an investment is no longer true. That would be that one. And then the other one is uh, pretty simple. Um, you need the money. Your goals uh, change. Your goals change, yeah. So there's, yeah, that's basically the other way to think about it. It's like there's a reason that you have to do something that to that portfolio that's not related to the individual company. And so um, a, a good example of this is in a retirement portfolio, you typically have a mixture of stocks and bonds. And let's say, for example, the stocks have done really well. We're going to have to sell some of the stocks to rebalance the portfolio. And so in that case, it's not really about whether I do or don't like Apple. It's like a bigger picture question. Um, and as Kate said, like, you just need the money. Like, you might have switched goals. Like you might have kids now. And so for me, the reason that I sold it was actually because I changed my investment strategy, which is kind of a violation of my rules. But it was true. Like, I had to change because I went more towards ETFs. And I still have Apple. It's just now inside one of my ETFs. Um, so... 
I made good money from it and I would own it again in the future, but in the future, it wouldn't be a core position. It would be a satellite position um, just because that's where I put my individual shares. I hope that makes sense. That makes sense. The cool thing is because we all have superannuation, we always forget this part because a lot of us think we're not investors, but we're forced to be by the government. And so you can just sort of reframe that and go, hey, I'm already an investor through superannuation. And chances are your super fund has international companies in it. And because Apple's one of the largest companies, it is in your super fund as well. So you're only going to own a tiny percent, but technically most of us do own Apple somewhere down there. I think that's a good reminder, Kate, because a lot of people think like we had someone at one of our events saying like, how can I get my money out of super? I don't believe in it. And I was like, actually, it's funny because... He's probably the reason super exists. It's because a lot of people think stocks are like gambling. They think the stock market is risky and all this type of stuff. But when you remember it's businesses, you can see why the the government effectively forces us to save. And you can see why the super funds have chosen to invest in the stock market because the stock market has performed the best. So even though people think it's scary, even though people think it's really daunting, over time it has proven to be the best. So um, the government is giving you a very strong tell that um, if you're not investing yet, you probably should um, because that's what they're telling basically the whole entire country to do. Exactly. And tax advantages too is pretty good too. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, especially here in Australia. Okay, I've got one more question. And you, if you need a bit of time to think about it, that's fine. Uh, but what's your best money-saving hack? <laughs> Kate. I think at the moment, it is finding ways to share the cost of food around. And so find either getting a fruit and veggie box and splitting the cost with a friend and sharing it. If you're wanting to go out for dinner, well, can you find a more low cost way? So having a dinner party with friends, everyone brings a dish, a a bottle of rosé or something like that helps with the dishes, makes it a lot easier. I've done barbecues in the park with friends, board game nights. Just groceries are so expensive. I definitely noticed like my grocery eating out bill was just skyrocketing over the past 12 months. So that's something that's a main way I've cut it down and also going to farmers markets. Sometimes that can really hike up the price. But if you look around a little bit, sometimes you can find really well priced ones where it's only a dollar or two for most of the fruit and veggie they're selling. You get there early, you fill up your basket and you're done for the week. Mm, That's a really good tip. Yeah, and some some stuff is so cheap. Like we bought a whole like bag of mandarins for like three dollars, and this was like a huge bag. I was like, we're never going to finish them. Scurvy for you. What about you, Owen? Um, So mine is like a money saving slash investing hack slash habit hack. Um, Is if you're investing, a lot of people over the last few years have seen interest rates go up. Um, So if you probably the number one saving hack is go and like speak to your mortgage broker because they'll be able to renegotiate for you. And that's the number one thing for anyone that's got a mortgage. But my hack is not that. It's um, it's actually to download an app like Raise. So if you're familiar with Raise, it's like, it used to be called Acorns. It's like a Roundup app. And uh, you can use the rewards program in there. And every time you buy a cup of coffee, it rounds up 50 cents or whatever you want it to do. And it will invest in ETFs for you. Uh, but that's not the reason that I would be using it. The reason that I use it it's actually for the rewards. So when I travel, like I'm going to Bali today, actually of all days, and um, you can book the flights and you can book the accommodation through Raise and they'll invest between say three and 5% of the booking value back into your Raise portfolio. So let's say you book a thousand dollar flight, you might get 40 bucks invested in your account. And the reason why this, I believe counts right now is a lot of people are really down on themselves because 
they can't invest as much money as they once did. And that's really hard because you've developed this fantastic habit. So the way to combat that is to keep investing just and keep investing smaller amounts because interest rates won't be high forever for a lot of people and rents won't be this high forever. And so making it through this winter is the most important and keeping that habit alive. You can do that with those micro investing apps. Um, and you can do it with heaps of different platforms like Perla does it too with uh, small investing amounts. Uh, Sharesies does it too with small investing amounts. So you can use one of these platforms to invest a small amount. And I know you guys have heaps of habits uh, for like uh, heaps of sorry hacks for habits and also for like investing regular amounts, rewards programs and stuff that you talk about a lot. Um, so take advantage of all them. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And it's like, doesn't affect your lifestyle at all. Same That's thing. really good. Yeah. Thank you so, so, so much for coming onto the podcast, Kate and Owen. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much thank for having us. Both. Yeah. It's been so great. And where can people find out more about you? Well, you can catch me every week on the Australian Finance Podcast. We have heaps of courses like your fantastic investing course on RASC Education where people can learn to invest their first $5. Where else, Owen? I think that's the main one. Yeah, if you just head to rask.com.au, it's R-A-S-K.com.au. We're available there. Um, and you can navigate the courses or podcasts and all that sort of stuff. So, Yay, thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next podcast. Bye. Bye. 